BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning, I'm Lily Jamali. There are more evacuation orders in place this morning as fire makes its way deeper into the Tahoe Basin. KQED's climate reporter Ezra David Romero joins us now from Carson City where he's been tracking the Caldor Fire, which has burned more than 200,000 acres and is just 20% contained. Ezra, good morning. Good morning. You've been monitoring CAL FIRE's morning briefing. Uh, Tell us how things went last night from what you can tell. It sounded like the CAL FIRE officials were a bit more optimistic than they have been for the past couple of days. Um, Tim Ernst with CAL FIRE, he talked about how the Tahoe Basin and all the work that's been going on to protect South Lake Tahoe. We're fortunate the fire did not make as strong a push into Tahoe as it did the, the previous day. A lot of great work is being done here along uh, Highway 50 moving down into the basin. I saw a lot of uh, uh, rigs that had lines going off firefighters well into uh, the, the brush here and into the, the timber doing some really good work. They're really trying to push the fire south of South Lake Tahoe. In last night's briefing, they said they wanted to have the Tamrac fire and the Calder fire become one. The idea is for the Calder fire to burn into the Tamrac fire, into the burn scar or the active fire to make it one fire. But the idea is that it would basically nullify itself at that point because it wouldn't have anything else to burn in that direction. And one of the things you did yesterday was you spent quite a bit of time at an evacuation center in Carson City talking to people about how they're managing right now, but also about the future, uh, about where they might be housed in an already very crunched housing market if they're able to return to the towns that they live in. What did they have to tell you? Yeah, the people I met, you know, it was about 24 hours after the evacuation. And so the people that were left at the evacuation center were the people that had nowhere else to go, that didn't have somewhere with a family member to park in front of their house or something like that. So the people I spoke with were really concerned about, like, if their house burns down, if their trailer burns down, like, they don't have the income or the extra money to rebuild. So there's real concern around if they could actually live in Tahoe or if it's a viable place to live. 
I met a guy named Bill Schaefer. He was previously unhoused in the Tahoe Basin for about 20 years. He told me he even lived in the forest. And he just got a house two weeks ago through this affordable housing program in South Lake Tahoe. And now he is unhoused again because of the wildfire, but temporarily this time. So here's him. It's like hitting the lottery to find a place for $350 a month. Which in I Tahoe? Can, which I could afford on my Social Security check. Awesome. So uh, I like I hit the lottery, <laughs> bought a lot of things to fix it up, and then uh, now, hopefully, it'll still be there, and uh, it'll be be good, and I'll come back. About thirty percent of the South Lake population is Latino, and there are construction workers and people who work in hotels that are worried that if this place burns or. If there's a big economic impact, it will impact their daily lives, their jobs. I met Jose Mora. He's a construction worker from Jalisco, and he's lived there for about 17 years. If it burns down, I don't know if they're going to rebuilding. I don't know about that. And it's going to be millions and millions of dollars, you know what I mean, to recover from that fire. Yeah, housing affordability, already a persistent issue in the Tahoe area, potentially will be made worse if the fire makes it into communities like South Lake Tahoe. KQED's Ezra David Romero covering the fire for us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, later today, Governor Gavin Newsom plans to visit the area where the Caldor fire is burning. It's the number one priority in the state. It's our number one priority. We're putting everything we've got on it. The governor says the threat of wildfires only reinforces concerns about climate change. And we've got to recognize that we are experiencing extremes, extreme weather conditions that are precipitating uh, these fires and creating fire conditions likes of which we've never seen in our lifetimes. The Caldor fire is one of 15 active wildfires now burning in California. In Sacramento, Republicans in the California legislature held an informal hearing on wildfire prevention yesterday on the steps of the state capitol. KQED's Katie Orr reports the hearing was meant to send a message to Democrats. Democrats in the legislature have indefinitely postponed a similar hearing, saying they don't want to pull critical firefighter personnel away during a busy wildfire season. But Republicans say the delay is meant to protect Governor Gavin Newsom ahead of a contentious recall election and after a cap radio story found he'd overstated how many acres of land his administration had treated through wildlife prevention projects. Witnesses testified about the need to better manage forests and the need for more money for management projects, among other things. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. In Southern California, the Pasadena Unified School District is requiring that students submit proof of vaccination or consent to weekly COVID-19 testing. It's part of an effort to bolster coronavirus safety measures. 
Students will have to show proof that they're vaccinated by October 15th or take weekly COVID tests with informed consent from parents or guardians. Children younger than 12 years old who aren't yet eligible for the vaccine must also undergo weekly testing with parental consent. Board members expressed concern about the requirement for informed parental consent, but at a recent board meeting, Dr. Elizabeth Blanco, chief academic officer with Pasadena Unified, explained why it's a requirement. This is a medical uh, procedure that we're um, asking parents to participate in, and so I think we, we need their informed consent to be able to do that. It's required to be administered by um, a certificated nurse, a health professional. Weekly testing is expected to start at Pasadena schools this week. Culver City School District was the first in the state to require COVID vaccinations for students. Another political hot potato has been tossed into the recall election scheduled for just two weeks from now. State Parole Board commissioners recently recommended that Sirhan Sirhan, who shot and killed Senator Robert F. Kennedy in Los Angeles in 1968, be paroled from prison. From KQED's politics team, Marisa Lagos and Scott Schaefer look into how that and a whole lot of other decisions could have very different outcomes if Governor Gavin Newsom is recalled from office. In California, governors have the final say on major parole decisions, so unless the full parole board reverses the recommendation, it'll be left to Newsom or the person who replaces him to decide Sirhan's fate. Newsom says he'll review the parole board's final recommendation before deciding, but Republicans hoping to replace Newsom see a good wedge issue and are calling on him to keep Sirhan in prison. You may well think that Sirhan Sirhan should not be paroled. Reasonable people can disagree about that. But, oh boy, politics are incredibly tied up with this. That's Robert Weisberg, co-director of the Stanford Criminal Justice Center. He says governors, Republican and Democrat, have taken very different approaches to parole decisions. Gray Davis just didn't want anybody to be paroled. Uh, Schwarzenegger changed things a little. Brown changed things considerably. Weisberg says on parole decisions, at least, Newsom has taken a slightly more cautious approach than Jerry Brown did. But he went all in on another big policy matter. Shortly after taking office, Newsom put a hold on all state executions. A new governor could instantly reverse that. So how quickly could executions resume at San Quentin? I suspect if a new governor lifts the moratorium, it's going to be largely symbolic, certainly during the very short term in which the newly elected governor serves. Because, Weisberg says, defense lawyers would ramp up legal appeals to slow down the process. In general, he says a new governor would have little ability to change criminal justice policy. While Republicans have been slamming Newsom on upticks in property crimes like shoplifting and car break-ins, they'd have little power to change the laws they see as the reason crime has increased. Even if a recall promotes a tough-on-crime message that the new governor would want to you know, deliver on, it's going to be much more focused on, hey, what have you done for me lately about the increase in street crime in Pasadena? A governor can't stop street crime, but there are some lasting and substantive decisions a governor makes. There's thousands and thousands of appointments that the governor makes, um, including judges. That's Sacramento-based political strategist Dana Williamson, a key advisor to many Democrats and a former aide to Governor Jerry Brown. So all of a sudden you could have our courts stacked with super conservative judges. As you see, you know, in the federal government, climate change policies could be impacted because the governor has appointees on the California Air Resources Board. 
Judges aren't the only appointments a governor makes. A new governor could fire the heads of agencies overseeing health, the environment, schools, pretty much everything, Williamson says. And then if you go to the budget, he could decide, well, I don't think the state should be spending any money on public education and completely roll back, you know, certain things that the state does. So there's a lot of consequences in a nine-month period for any governor. So while the impact of a new Republican governor could be limited by a Democratic-controlled legislature and another statewide election next year, the political earthquake of having a deep blue state remove its Democratic governor would have aftershocks across the country. Tomorrow, we'll examine how a new governor with completely different ideas about combating the COVID-19 pandemic could have a profound impact in very short order. For The California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. And that is The California Report for this Wednesday, September 1st. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thanks for listening. Support for the California Report comes from the law firm Perkins Coie, a trusted legal advisor to innovative companies and industry leaders throughout California and the world. Learn more at PerkinsCOIE.com. Paint Care, now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at PaintCare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures. Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast. And I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading!